Welcome to Englishman in New York. I'm Nick Cook. I'm with my wonderful co-host, Will Hamnett. How are you doing, Will? I'm good. Hello, Nicholas. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad. Interesting couple of weeks being Englishman in New York. Of course, our podcast is um, about us and the uh, interesting, well, less about us, but mainly about the interesting people we have met along our journey in New York. Um, safe to say it's been a bumpy ride since we launched the pod, but um, we met another wonderful and fantastic human being who really put us to shame, didn't he? Yeah. So this week's guest is a chap called Roper Peckham Cooper, who yet again has made us feel very inadequate with his uh, motivation and achievement. Where do we find these people? I guess that's the point of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so Roper, um, age 14, became the youngest person ever to cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats, which for US listeners is basically from the top of Scotland to the bottom of England. Um, And then last summer, he cycled from the Brooklyn Bridge in New York to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. So basically across the whole of the US, 3,000 miles. Yeah. It's a long, it's a, it's a bloody long way. It's um, a big cycle. And supported by his, his wonderful wife, um, Pippa. And, and yeah, I, I guess essentially as, as our, our episodes have always been about, we, we dig into, um, yeah, the person behind amazing achievements such as that. And uh, he gives us some, Fantastic insight into, I guess, America in the process, because by nature of cycling across the country, he went through, I don't think we even, we should have asked him that, Nick, how many states he actually physically went through. 14 states. No, it's 14 states. You found out earlier. We didn't ask on the pod. He went through 14 states. He tried a lot of food along the way. He had chafing, a burst undercarriage, (laughs) um, and it took uh, all in the course of 45 days and and raised a, a hell of a lot of money for charity. Yeah, and I think after a tough few months, um, hopefully this provides listeners with a, a little bit of escapism and some inspiration. And I think uh, a very positive message, a sort of forward-thinking message um, based around all the wonderful American people and places that he met along the way. So without further ado, here's Roper Peckham Cooper. I'm serious. Move to a new city. We're moving to New York. I, uh, I should probably buy a place in the city first. Are you here for business or pleasure? Hopefully both. All right, welcome back to the pod. Roper, how are you doing? Welcome. Very well, thanks, Nick. It's uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited to um, forget a lot of the dark, depressing uh, memories of uh, of the last few months, and especially the last couple of weeks in New York, um, by discussing your incredible adventure. But I guess beforehand, you are also based in New York, aren't you? How have you found the last few weeks? I am, yeah, based in the East Village, so right in the heart of it, not far from Union Square. It's been eye-opening, I think, as kind of being an expat, just in terms of not really knowing all of the the background around everything and probably being a little bit naive to it all and just how pervasive it was. But it's been interesting, really interesting and eye-opening overall. But yeah, keeping safe. Roper, hi, what are your cross streets? You're just down the road from me. Oh, really? I'm uh, Bowery, yeah. basically Bowery and Sixth. Cool. Okay, so a little bit further than maybe I thought. I'm in um, Lower East Side, but a potential new friend out of this podcast. Lots of optimism. Nice. How yeah. exciting. We can do some social distancing. We can do some social Waving indeed, from the Indeed, indeed. How excited. But yeah, um, super great to, to have you on the podcast and to hear about this incredible um, life that you've had thus far. Um, I think, Nick... We normally like to start with the, the beginning, don't we? Yeah. And take so it all back I, I to feel the like, start. I feel like we should do exactly that um, with your story, Roper. I know that, like me, you were a middle child, but unlike me, you had six siblings. Is that right? Wow. Yes, indeed. Yeah, one one of seven overall and sitting neatly across the gender split within my family. So I've got four older brothers and two younger sisters, which I think has slightly influenced my behavior over the past few years as well. <laughs> Just makes you cycle nonstop. Yeah, exactly. Cycle away. <laughs> and you grew up in the English countryside. I think that we'll get on to discussing your move to the US and the fact you left and then returned to the US. Um, but yeah, you, you grew up in an English rural area, is that correct? 
Yeah, I did. I was just just south of London in the Kent countryside. Uh, I suppose what you'd call it is like a little small holding because we had uh, a house where, of course, we were crammed into sharing bedrooms and things. So I shared a bedroom with my two younger sisters and then my brothers paired off um, to share bedrooms with each other. And then we had an array and assortment of random animals. So, of course, your dogs and cats and then uh, a couple of pigs called Winston and Churchill some uh, <laughs> sheep and ducks, a very aggressive goose. Uh, and then somehow we, I think we formed, and it's probably still there, a new colony of English born and bred guinea pigs because they grew out of control and bred rapidly <laughs> and we had to let them go. Awesome. So. <laughs> Sounds like a combination yeah. of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Animal Farm. Yeah, something like Animal Farm. They probably were pretty. All deserves its own deserves its own book and film. It sounds like a yeah, an awesome place to to grow up. And you, um, Roper, you um, started cycling very early, right? And your first cycle, well, your first sort of um, charity focus cycle was when you were fourteen. Do you want to tell us a bit about that Mm. and and what inspired it, and um, you know what inspired this journey? Yeah, of course. Um, So. I, as I say, grew up in a, a large household and uh, had been cycling a lot. Uh, very fortunate to be able to cycle around the, the countryside and lanes nearby and things like that um, as a kid. And then when I was 12, I lost my mum in a car accident. And she was really, really loved children, obviously by having seven for one, <laughs> but also helping out with local charities and also um regionally for the NSPCC and that kind of inspired me to raise some money as a 14 year old for the NSPCC and try kind of in her memory and to do something a little bit different love cycling and so looked at Land's End to John O'Groats, the two furthest points on the British Isles, um, to to cycle so that's the bottom of Cornwall and then all the way up to, to Scotland how many and miles that. is that that was 907. Wow. So, overall. so for our US listeners, the, the, the US cycle we'll come on to talking about uh, from New York to San Francisco was basically the whole way across the US uh, it was 3,000 miles uh, to give some perspective. Mm. So this was almost a third of that, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, roughly. Which age 14 and, is uh, not bad. <laughs> It was uh, at the time was the the youngest solo cyclist to to do it. Oh, so you did it on your own. Um, yeah. Well, I was backed up by my family. So my dad drove the camper van, which we stayed in every <laughs> night with my gran and my two younger sisters as part of it. I remember eating a hell of a lot of chocolate mousse pots, which were my fuel <laughs> basically for that, and steak and chips every night. Um, but they followed me in the in the camper van, so I was supported in that sense. But on the road, I was on my own, um, and very fortunate that my dad, I suppose, let me do it as well because it was a bit of a strange trip. How did you go about raising money? I suppose at that young age, you probably didn't have the commercial mind you have now. So how did you go about raising funds? No, not the commercial acting <laughs> that I have now. And, uh, I'd like to discuss with Will at some point. Um, I... I suppose it was kind of trying to get out there as much as possible as a gangly, awkward 14-year-old can do. Um, so I was, did a lot around school, as you can imagine, and then asked people to take that back to um, their homes and into uh, their sibling schools and things like that. So really just trying to get out there as organically as possible rather than, than driving anything larger. And this is before the advent of social. I'm judging by, for listeners at home that can't see, and this is... Pot calling Here kettle. we go. I'm Here we go. How old is? No, I just. I'm judging by. I'm judging by. We're on a, a, a video call, so I'm judging by hairlines, which is one of the easiest ways to go off it because I can't see crow's feet, and I'm. I'm assuming this is at 14. It's probably before the advent of social media, so uh, yeah, I can see the crow's feet now. But I, yeah, um, I'm assuming like it, it's. It was difficult to raise money back then. Like just giving wasn't as mm. much of a platform. Virgin, uh, Virgin's equivalent wasn't a huge thing, and a lot of it, yeah. if I remember people at when I was growing up doing similar but not quite as impressive things I mean you're the youngest person to, at the time to have done the solo ride at that distance in the UK from London to John O'Groats um yeah it, it was bl- a lot of bucket shaking I'd imagine and a lot significantly hard to get your message out there yeah 
Yeah, good point, I suppose. I think maybe that was the advent of Bebo, um, but not really the same platform. <laughs> Massive to, flashback. To, right. <laughs> Top yeah, five friends. I've, I tried to look for it the other day, but uh, couldn't. Um, <laughs> but it was... It, I remember printing off a lot of forms where people would state how much they'd sponsor and then um, and make a pledge and then chasing them up afterwards sort of thing. And a little plastic wallet folder to pool all of the cash together wow. um so it was a bit of a it was a bit of thing. I raised around just over a thousand pounds which at the time i was jubilant about um, yes yeah, huge amount of money it was yeah it was it was great and as a little as i say little 14 year old with some spindly legs it felt like a, a big big win and success and did you love it i mean how much was your prior to doing it were you a huge keen cyclist or was it just like, okay, what's the biggest challenge that I can potentially set myself physically? Uh, in the UK, we're kind of limited in terms of distance, huge peaks, expanses of water. Mm. You kind of like either swim the channel to France, climb a, climb one of our inverted commas mountains, or you do land center yeah. John O'Groat. So I'm trying to think of like, I guess, what was the rationale behind the bike trip that spawned this passion? Yeah, and... It's a really good question. I haven't thought about it too much. I think it was just enjoying um, enjoying cycling, but wanting to push myself as much as possible. And that being one of the ones that during research I um, found out about and wanted to, to partake in it, I suppose, and really enjoyed also a bit on the geeky side. I really love maps. Who doesn't like maps? <laughs> and just planning out maps. the route myself. Again, not, yeah, not really having, or the, uh, the big, uh, you know, the big binder ones of the A to Z in Britain um, going across the, the whole country and uh, marking up my route in pencil. Uh, and taking in all of the A roads and where I'd go. I remember sitting on the sofa at home and just marking all of those up. So in in preparation for the ride. So well, I suppose it was a, a cartography yeah, a love. A love of cartography, yeah, exactly. that's the word, right, isn't it? I think. Well, there was no Google Maps and things yeah. like that. So I was really, you know, with the hard do you still Do you still use that coffee even though you don't need them? I wish I could say I do, but I don't. I'll be <laughs> a romantic. I've gone vision. digital. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next phase, I guess, uh, once you're a bit older, you did a, a big trip cycling to Barcelona from London. Um, what age were mm. you when you did that, and um, and, and how, how long was that distance? Really good question. Um, I was, I think, 21, 22. So I was pretty much fresh out of uni and starting my fledgling career as a consultant at Accenture and had a friend who was pretty keen on it as well. And at that point, didn't didn't raise any money for charity, but just wanted to put on the cleats again, clip into the pedals and do a bit of a tour. So strap some panniers on the back and it was just us two cruising through the French countryside, which was awesome. That was, I think, 1,200, 1200 miles. And then with it being, we were by that point strapping, strapping men and my hairline was just starting to go. <laughs> that was um, your peak. Uh, yeah exactly <laughs> oh, glory days glory days um managed to do it in 12 days that one wow. so, and is that uh, is that a quick uh, is that a quick time i don't i'm trying to quantify my cycling really consists of me just like pooling up to central park to get some sun so i i don't think i've ever been more than 10 miles so i couldn't quantify the mileage per day is what about 100 miles we're doing that seems like a lot to me mm. Yeah, there were. It's probably roughly, roughly around the sweet spot, I suppose, across the day, um, where I found is kind of the eighty to ninety mark, seventy to ninety, roughly, depending on terrain and things like that. So that seems quite a nice amount. Definitely not a real fast pace, but pretty steady and um, keeping just keeping rolling and keeping that bum on the. Seat. And cycling. It sounds cycling was always going to be a hobby, was it? With the odd big trip and maybe some fundraising. Um, rather than a professional jaunt yeah i've definitely always been on that kind of the amateur enjoyable tourer if you will yeah. it got right. after the the one as a kid really enjoyed it so went on a few longer weekends away to scotland and belgium and uh, a little bit in france and then did this again slightly bigger one to barcelona um just out of enjoyment i wouldn't say i'm a cycling aficionado or 
at all going pro, but enjoy it. And it seems as though that's one of the things that my body can do. So cool. within reason. So weren't trying to be the next Bradley Wiggins, Mark Cavendish, etc. No, R- Roper, da- Roper's not a doper. He does things clean. <laughs> yeah, pure clean. <laughs> Unless you unless you count chocolate mousse as a bit of a yeah the, illegi- this, illegitimate this, kick. I'm no again I'm I'm no cyclist. I'm also no nutritionist. I'm not. I shouldn't be one to point the finger on any of these things. Although I am getting into running, as we have discussed off pod. But um, the science behind chocolate mousse and steak and chips is there one, or is it like I'm 14? That sounds like it's high calorie intake. I should probably do it. And, and what were you eating when you were going through France? Was it? steak and chips and then the, the mooses came with you across the border or steak baguette yeah <laughs> i uh, i can safely say one of the big drivers of the france trip was creme brulee i was just trying to see which region was the best for the creme brulee uh it turns out i can't remember any of what i the notes that i took down but that was a big driver of it and yeah steak steak frites another solid source of fuel but again not heavy on the, the nutrition side got much better at that later on i suppose but just needed the fuel and to shovel it in overall and then you won um you won an award or you were nominated for an award called the Diana Award and then you became an ambassador for them. Um, I actually don't know anything about that award, but um, it sounds like a great achievement. What, what is that? <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, so it's it's a Diana Award, a Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Award and set up in, in memory of her focus and championship around young people being the change in the world that you, you want to see. And so as a 14-year-old, I was nominated off the back of the the cycle and raising money and also doing some anti-bullying endeavors at school and things like that. Um, and really very happily awarded it um, and thrilled to get it. And it allowed me and afforded me so many kind of opportunities in terms of training for me as a late teen um, in peer mentoring, um, speaking at Downing Street and things like that. So it's really around championing young young people to strive for social change. And that's one of the things that I carried on doing with them quite closely over the years um, and have been a ambassador and partner with them because you're a good egg aren't you puts us uh, to shame the lot la- i mean our guest prior to this um was a entrepreneur philanthropist a guy called josh littlejohn who is behind the the world's big sleep out and now we've got someone who is sort of semi-associated with princess diana we're terrible recently. humans will we're not doing and then, you know then there's nick and i um we need to- i think it's the year for change for us nick i think this is a good opportunity it's inspiring us maybe it'll be inspiring some it. listeners I hope so. Um, but no, that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, I'm super jealous. So the next phase, yeah. I guess, chronologically moving on, is uh, your decision to... I guess what we've discovered about you is you're super adventurous and you're always moving. Um, and did you always want to live and move abroad? Um, or was New York always the plan? Uh, yeah, definitely. I don't know really where it came from, but always wanted to to live and work abroad and by this point speaking kind of chronologic chronologically um i'd met my wife to be per se and she was of a similar mindset so wanting to adventure or or go away a little bit more um and so we discussed kind of being expats and, and getting out of the uk i'd done a year in Paris uh, on and off kind of going out in the start of the week and then coming back at the end of the week for a project that I was working on with Accenture and loved being abroad loved getting a sense of the city and and staying there and living there for the best part of a year and also my brother is an expat in Singapore so it's it's a little bit there already and kind of got an itch for it and so Pippa and I my now wife wanted to stretch our legs and see some of the world and so we were looking at singapore uh, but then by a twist of fate it turned out to be new york i'm fascinated by this commuting to paris thing how, how does that work in practice is it just jumping on the eurostar it actually sounds great yeah i got really good at sleeping on the eurostar so it'd be an early morning train up to st pancras jumping on the Eurostar, getting bedded into the seats uh, and then getting to Paris around for a sleep and then getting to Paris around um, 10 or 11 
their time and then working for the rest of the week and then coming back on a on a Friday or sometimes a Thursday. Can you, sometimes could stay there for the weekend as well. Can you get season tickets? Is it on the channel, as they call it? I actually don't know. Or do you I just never did. I had to rock buy up them as Accenture of, of yeah, they're, they're not worried about the, the deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly. It was, it was good trips. <laughs> Interesting. So when did you um, first set for, I know you've kind of been back and forth and we can get onto that in, in a bit, but when did you first, I guess, um, make the move over over here? And was it, it was to New York, right? You haven't lived anywhere else in, yeah. in the States. When was that? No, just in New York. And it was April 2017 now, which seems like a while ago. But yeah, yeah. three years ago, pretty much. Okay, cool. Yeah. And um, where was your, your first spot? First spot? Oh, interesting. So when I first got here, I was lucky enough to be put up for two weeks by my company where I work. And uh, that was at a hotel. And of course, being a fresh-faced expat, and getting to New York, I'd only been here once before during uni. I thought, you know where I want to stay. It's Times Square. So I did the worst same thing. shout I did the same ever. Thing. Same, 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 same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got to. Like, yeah, this is the place. It's the worst place my... in New York for anyone who doesn't live there. Yeah, and turns out I didn't have enough cash to tip my taxi driver, So, oh, and I didn't have the correct address for my hotel, which was actually a few more blocks away from Times Square than the five other Hiltons that are around Times Square. <laughs> so in the end, we went to one, then we went round the block to another, and they said, we haven't got your booking. And he was like, look, I'm dropping you back off at the first one. Then I tipped him about $10, and he push back on that tip so <laughs> one of the first initial culture shocks <laughs> this is and this is the fascinating thing about new york and i think it is like uh for for those of us that come from the uk i'd, I'd imagine I've, I've spoken to lots of europeans who have done the same thing and i don't know whether it's a lack of research on our part and i can only really speak for the people that mm. i've met which has been quite a few expats since i've been here over a year but we hear this story time and time again we all get it wrong like all of us go into it thinking that it's going to be extremely similar to London, New York, and an extremely extremely similar country to England. And I had this very similar thing, like didn't even know you needed to tip a taxi driver. So he's kind of barking at me when I get out of the taxi and I'm like, oh yeah, there's that tip thing in America, which you then realize is going to dominate the entirety of your life everywhere you go. Like even when you get coffee, you're being asked for a tip. Um, there's an option to tip everywhere you are purchasing anything. And then things like not knowing about you need a credit rating in America to open up a bank account or to sign on a lease and all these different things. Like there really needs to be, maybe actually, Nick, this is a side project. Sorry, Roper. This, is this another podcast? This is not another podcast, but there should be re a resource for this sort of thing for expatriates. Um, I'm sure there, maybe there is. Please someone reach out if there is. Maybe, but yeah, maybe we put these, some links in the comments. Yeah, all these <laughs> things about, well, no one can move right now. I've speaking to a couple of people at the moment and the embassies are shut. They haven't been able to get their visas and there's no movement of people across the world. But going forward, it's just like you don't even think about these things. And again, so Nick did the same thing. He thought, right, I know New York from the movies. You're going to mm. be a star kid and you plonk yourself in Times Square. We had off, Jungle had its first office and we were like, oh, where do you want to be? Well, obviously Times Square, centre of New York. Last place you want yeah, to be. Yeah, we were in a WeWork oh. right by Penn Station, which is probably the worst place on planet Earth to be. Also an aggressive location. Oh, just yeah. dreadful. And you, you just don't know. So you just fall into these traps and it's just, a, it's yeah. a really interesting transition. Well, I certainly think so. All these like relearning and unlearnings of cultural norms and relearning of, uh, or learning of new ones. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's definitely something I've always said when like, looking back and reflecting on getting here. It's much more of a culture shock than I was ever realizing. And it's it's those sorts of things. But because you're so thrown into the deep end with it, and I was just out here on my own at that point, it's there's so much to suddenly learn on those sorts of things. And $10 tip just wasn't it's, enough. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a quick ramp, isn't it? Um, but yeah. what did, so the bike, did the bike come with you? To on your first, um, when you first kind of like plonked yourself in New York, I'd imagine it didn't come with you on the plane, but when you moved all your stuff over, did that bike come with you over to the US or, or what happened? No. So I was actually very fortunate to 
so the first couple of years in the US was just really, as I say, bedding in and getting getting used to everything, I suppose, and pretty sharpish. But then Pippa and I, my wife, um, like settled and, and got everything sorted, really focused on work and all of that jazz. And then the itch, I suppose, came back to kind of explore and, and do that. I had mentioned when we first got here, wouldn't it be cool to cycle across uh, or interesting to cycle across the whole of America. And she was like, there's just no way that we're doing that. So I worked on it for a couple of years, but there was no bike. I actually uh, acquired one by a friendly vendor on the street in Brooklyn for $120 just to a sto- get around. A stolen bike, if you will. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I seemed very... <laughs> he was a nice guy. He was, yeah, exactly. He was just setting up, entrepreneurial. Um, Support local businesses. You know, he, Got it. I, yeah, exactly. I own- and his shop was just a few blocks over. Sure, 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 so. sure. I only say it because I'm still bitter that um, <laughs> I've only had my bike over here for... I must only be like three months and I finally got a puncture fixed and just two weeks into having the puncture fixed, having just thought, oh, it's, it's kind of like London. I'll just lock it up with a kryptonite lock on my street. It'll be fine. Wheels gone. And um, yeah, and yeah some, somewhere on the Gumtree equivalent in, in, in America and being sold somewhere. So I, I shouldn't yeah. obviously think, have wheels for some. Yeah, I shouldn't think that everyone's stealing bikes and selling them. But um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> No, but then actually to that point, uh, that it was a real, real shitter of a bike, a crap bike. And uh, it, swearing's allowed, Roper is uh, fine. Oh, okay, good. Just checking. Out, <laughs> yeah, we'll bleed out. We'll bleed out. As you could see, as you can see visually, um, <laughs> and probably order, order tree. Um, but the roads here are just brutal on any bikes. If you're cycling in actual uh, Manhattan or um, and avoiding the paths. And the streets are yeah, just gruesome for it, it. And, um, yeah. and lots of cars, and just sheet metal plates ready to burst the best of tires. Yeah. <laughs> so this, the big trip, um, is the bridge to bridge trip, um, which, as we've discussed, is cycling from the Brooklyn Bridge um, all the way through the US uh, to San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge. Where did that idea come from? Um, I assume you're not the first person to do it. So, where did when did that idea come into your head? And how long did it take you to get it going? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, as you can tell by the hairline, definitely not. The <laughs> um, so, I I think it was just uh, an idea in terms of again one of the things from the first cycle ride when I was a kid that was the length of the UK and then did the length of France and then it kind of. I suppose it started to be a bit of a theme in terms of where I live, trying to do the length of it. So did a little weekend ride where it was the length of New York, for instance, and then thought, why can't it be across the whole of the US? Um, And so that was something that, as I say, when I got here relatively soon, started to discuss or share with my wife uh, a little bit more around wanting to go across the whole of it. And did uh, Pippa join you on the... She did. She did. She was a champion um, support. Uh, so it's it was a curious time because we were about to head back to the UK because um, her and you guys will know all of the shenanigans around visas and things like that. She was out here on a J1. So that had ended, but she was then able to just round that off with this ride based on how we timed it and things like that. Um, and we were very, very kindly sponsored by mini um, with a vehicle Um, so she drove the support vehicle which was a mini um, as part of the trip and she ended up cycling parts of it right yeah she did she did about 300 miles or so um, across the the whole of the who's in the car points when that happens so that's so when we were able to stay directly on the route she would either join in the morning when we set off and then cycle back to pick up the car like this is what i'm saying she was an absolute wow. hero uh, on this and on the pod. because she wanted to, to join <laughs> yeah, yeah she you did. shouldn't I be know. here bro. it should be that <laughs> yeah give me one second (laughs) Um, and then if it was at the end of the day she would drive drop it off at where we were staying whether that was a house or a motel and then come back join me at some point when she knew meeting on the route and then we'd go back together Um, I'm fascinated by the brand partners you got on board Mini is a great one free car Um, how did you go about getting those partners on board and who were the other partners uh, so it was 
kind of utilizing some of my skill set, I suppose, in my day job around uh, sales and relationship management and just reaching out to some of the people that I thought would be able to make the decisions around um, helping and sponsoring. So, of course, looking at bike manufacturers, part manufacturers, clothing, um, all of those sorts of things. So actually, it was a bit of a cascade effect. So I had a great call and conversation with Rafa um, and one of the managers who looks after the East Coast out here. Um, and he's based in New York. And he said, yeah, let's chat. This sounds amazing. Just kind of created a little info pack, if you will, on what the aim was, why I was raising money for charity, all of that, and what the request was. And so we chatted it through. He said, yeah, count us up. Uh, we'd love to count us in. We'd love to do it. And so off the back of that, he then introed me to Mini, um, who provided the car because they have a bit of a partnership. Uh, he provided all of the kit and then uh, also introed to a bike builder who created a bike made from Kentucky steel. Um, and it was professionally fitted by a guy that he knew in Brooklyn. So it was a kind of whole chain of events. Um, and then through him as well, there was a bike parts manufacturer, FSA, who provided the electrical gear and bike components. That's really cool. And um, yeah. I don't think you mentioned who the charity was that you were raising. And so the charity time. was then uh, linking back to the Diner Award. So wanting oh, okay. to raise money for them in that kind of full, full loop piece, because nice, nice, nice. I am now as we've touched upon a number of times, no longer considered a young person. So I <laughs> help them in the sense of an ambassador and a uh, alumni. You're, I was going to say, you're, I bet you're an alumni. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. An ODA, an old Diana award. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, and how do you go about uh, how do you go about plotting the route? Um, is there like a online resource, which is like, if you're going to do bridge to bridge, this is exactly the point at which you need to start and the exact point you need to end? Like, is this a well-trodden path? I, I know about the Land's End John O'Groats, but what are the logistics mm. around sorting it and how do you go about, you know, getting your map out or getting your phone yeah. out to plot the route? How did it work this time? Uh, so actually, there is, so there are, it's called bike maps um, or bike mapping. They do a particular one which is a transcontinental or transamerica okay. ride and that is a well-trodden path and they provide you maps and things like that but i that goes somewhere around i think charleston and then across to la for instance but doing bridge to bridge was uh, wanting to acknowledge kind of new york and then getting to the other side so uh, focused it on the bridges and just <laughs> as rudimentary as google maps actually uh, planned it roughly looking at how many miles it would be and then roughly what the number of days would be so that I could ask work for time off cool. according to that sort of days. And excuse my ignorance, which bridge, it's going to be one of Manhattan, Brooklyn or Williamsburg, is it on the East Coast of yeah. New York? And then you're going to Golden Gate on the West Coast? Yeah, Brooklyn Bridge to the Golden Gate Bridge was what it was in the end. It's just such an undertaking. I just don't know if I'd fancy it. Just Go, off the it, cuff, it, Nick. I think, I think you should run it. So, run it instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> is it yeah, fair I, to say the Golden Gate Bridge is the most famous bridge in the world? No. I, I think it might be. Yeah. I mean, Bristol Suspension Bridge right up there. I was about to say the Suspension <laughs> yeah, Clifton. Bridge. Clifton, yeah, that's Clifton true. That's bridge. a beauty. Um, the wobbly Millennium Bridge. Yeah, yeah not so wobbly anymore. They, they, they fixed also, it. They fixed it. Or Tower Bridge. Or Tower of course, Bridge. that's probably right up there. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's, one of it, it's definitely um, it's de it's definitely up there. And I think the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm just trying to work out in my head how it goes. It goes BMW from south to north, doesn't it? Brooklyn Bridge is is probably the most infamous one. The lowest in one. Photography yeah. is the lowest one, and it's the most infamous one in terms of like the re as a reference mm. point. Um, you wouldn't want to start on Williamsburg. It's not a particularly nice bridge. You're starting on a really no. horrible main road. So good, good choice of bridges. Um, Thank you, you very my, much. My, uh, my yeah, cents. not Roosevelt either. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Tell us but, about um, um, tell us tell about us warm about showers, Roper. Warm, are you, I had a quick chat with you earlier, uh, and you yeah. told me about this insane site platform um which is basically kind of airbnb for the cycling community who knew it was such a wonderfully inclusive community where people offer their sofas and beds to each other 
Um, yeah. 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 It was um, it was one that got recommended again through kind of picking up these these contacts and partnerships, and they mentioned uh, warm showers, and of course, the name is relatively dubious. Uh, I, it's it's intriguing, and <laughs> wanted to to <laughs> find really out a little a bit, bit like that. But you're yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, I just wanted to call it out because yeah. many people yeah. are like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> um, and it was. It, it's one of these ones where people who have done touring or even family members who have um, had people, had their family members do touring and, and been put up by people or just letting people use their garden for camping. Um, but lots of people, if they've got a spare bedroom, will just allow you and welcome you into their home to say, yeah, we'll put you a, a, wall, a room roof over your head and give you a warm shower and many of them if not all of them pretty much will provide you with some food and dinner when you get there so it's just this awesome community of people that are so welcoming and open to uh, having you stay there was one couple where they had built their own home it was on top in the middle of the appalachians a really beautiful countryside in pennsylvania and they gave us like a three-course meal it was a beautiful house we had essentially our kind of own wing if you will and a warm shower after a really cold day in the appalachians and a really grueling climb was glorious it's just lovely people good to hear they actually gave you a warm shower as well Given the name of oh the, yeah yeah exactly it's almost a stipulation. <laughs> <laughs> did you so send any did real you... oh, shitholes? Sorry, sorry, Will. Any real horrible shitholes where you turn up and thought, oh god, it's free, but I'd really rather not be here. Um, <laughs> so there's a couple couple spring to mind. <laughs> One was a really lovely chap, but it was very rudimentary. Um, place it was a a really small bungalow it was kind of a bit dilapidated he was lovely um it was a preheated microwave meal which again was so generous and lovely to to have but it was just a bit of a kind of uncomfortable uh, there was (laughs) no chocolate mousse pod there wasn't there wasn't and it wasn't steak fruit if it was if it was Um, and the other one was a motel which wasn't warm showers, but it was a motel in the middle of, where was it? New Mexico, I think. And it was the hunting themed room. So <laughs> everything was camouflage and it had antlers on the wall. And the It had fake vegetation stapled to the wall. So it's wow. really, there's some really odd ones That's, out there. Fascinating. Yeah. It must've been an amazing, uh, I mean, no shit, Will, I mean, obviously, but it must've been an amazing ride and an amazing way to see see the country which is obviously so incredibly diverse and so different state by state um do mm. you have some i mean you the appalachians for people that don't know geography good um or mainly probably uk actually probably uk listeners um appalachians run north south on the east coast of the states from pretty high up in vermont am i right i mean this shows that i probably don't know geography. i've got no idea where the appalachians are i think from vermont down to south carolina um yeah it's real big change it's a huge mountain range um more hilly than mountainous i guess would be the way of saying compared to the rockies on the west coast but god look at my geography it is actually incidentally the only gcse that i got an a star in so there you go thanks um uh, guy Bruredney, you bloody me back at school. Um, well, my only, <laughs> no uh, my only one, my only one. Next question. Um, but <laughs> which was so? You're starting in New York. You're starting in the Northeast. Did you take a completely la- lateral route across? And which which states did you go through that were favourite, super interesting? It must have been so. Was it so different state by state, um, week by week, or or was it very much the same? Am I making the wrong kind of conclusion? No, no, no. It's definitely, definitely the case. It was awesome and incredible. I think the Appalachians were brutal at the very start, just because I had trained, but not necessarily enough to, to take it on after the first kind of week or so as I was bedding into it. Um, and they were pretty tough to climb. Pennsylvania is really beautiful um, in terms of the, the countryside, the landscape, and how it it opens up and then another one that i think would be surprising if um the americans hear me say this is missouri missouri because they they 
many of the locals kind of have a joke that it's called misery because nobody really gets out of there. It's pretty um, boring and nothing happens. But actually, it, I loved it because it just reminded me of home and cycling in the, the countrysides in the home counties or Kent or anything right. and just cruising through the, the greenery, which was beautiful. Missouri is Kansas City, isn't it? Borders Kansas mm. on the west side. Yeah. So very famous from the Super Bowl win of last Again, year. fantastic knowledge. Yeah, you could you could even believe that I live in America and I've been here for a year, couldn't you? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. It's glorious. Thanks. Thanks. Maybe I should be a cartographer or one of those sorts of things, Nick. No? <laughs> yeah, see, everybody loves maps. I go back to it. Nick doesn't look impressed, but there we go. Sorry, I'm talking too much. <laughs> I'm just like. depressed at my own knowledge. I've been in two years and I don't know where any of these places are. You you have other strengths, Nicholas. It's it's not important. <laughs> this is I go out and see them, but I'm not allowed right now. Um, how was um, how was uh, the, the Appalachian, Appalachians you mentioned was particularly grueling? It, it, there must be a considerable amount of pressure when you're trying to raise money for charity. I'd imagine at the age of 14, I know you were doing it in memory of your mum. So there was a bit like, shit, I need to do this in my mum's memory. I'm also trying to raise money and I'm going to have to go to people's doors and ask for this money that they've signed up to sponsor for. That's going to be awkward if I don't complete this ride. But when you're, you know, you have a, you're a bit older and you have a bit more awareness of the significance of the undertaking. And this is a challenge that was three times harder than Land's End to John O'Groats. Like that must have been horrendous when you're up this hillside or mountain cliff face. I want to make it sound more serious, like as serious we'll as, as it cliff is. Face, cliff yeah. face. When you're going up this like particularly grueling hill, mountain, what goes through your head? Is, is in your psyche is there no option but to do it like the moments of self-doubt how does it i've never done anything this uh, physically exerting so i couldn't even imagine i'm mainly like if i don't complete this 5k run i guess i can't have that yogurt pot um that chocolate <laughs> mousse but how, what's yeah. it like uh the food component was a big big part of it i just knew i could eat anything that i wanted um but the i think whilst doing it it gets easier and better when you know that you you've completed this amount or you're starting to chip away at the distance i think that's that's huge and definitely there is that pressure to complete it and to get through to the next stage one of the big my biggest times of self-doubt are always before starting any of these things and i turn to pippa um a like a couple of days before we were setting off and we were having to pack up our flat at the same time and move out of that on the Saturday and, and I was leaving on the Saturday and things like that so she was again a stallion and did all of that during um, the first day but just saying I'm really quite worried about actually what this looks like and what it's going to be and I'm going to need your help as we go through this and it is that kind of self-doubt and actually having a bit of a support network to lift you up mm. in the times when you are doubting or, or a bit down as well and knackered <laughs> uh, what about the nutrition i know we're joking about the nutrition side and the sort of well-being side but how well prepared do you need to be and and you know what were the kind of lowest moments uh chaffage comes to mind but how bad did it get <laughs> yeah Chaf chaffage was a big one the sore the sore rear was a big one one of the low moments was when and i was really worried actually i was finishing off a day and i think it was kansas somewhere i'd have to look at the map of course um <laughs> and it something popped on my undercarriage ah. and I, I think it was a blister and it was absolutely blinding pain and i was i did it i couldn't sit down again and i had about five miles left to get into the town to finish up the day and actually get to a warm shower which oh no that was one of the worst ones oh, actually. No. <laughs> that was like a creepy eerie house with a porch that ran out the outside and there was a, a couple of old used m muddy murky bath bathtubs on the porch and i knocked and nobody came and then uh, creaked open the door and somebody came through after about five minutes it was a really weird one um and there was stuff everywhere because they were redoing it anyway <laughs> that was a, a popped undercarriage and i was really worried about getting on the bike the next day just because i thought it was going to be red raw and it it's i suppose those sorts of times when it is the worst and i leading up to it 
I was worried about my knees because I was having some issues during training with them. Um, and again, trying to do everything in my power in terms of uh, supplements to ensure my joints were as supple as possible. Um, pain painkillers every morning so that it would build into... Um, some sort of motion rather than having the pain at the start and then also had some uh, a steroid injection in my left knee right before uh, two weeks before we departed for the trip is there anyone who doesn't have an issue with their knees it feels like everyone it's has a had an ACL thing, injury at some point it's yeah we're not evolving as we should be as humans always back to your ACL injury Nick, <laughs> which is Nick, uh, Rope, you might not know this, but Nick and I have, our friendship has really blossomed over uh, five-a-side football, which we obviously still are unable to play in, in New York at the moment because of the social distancing laws mm. and the lack of opening up of the city thus far. But um, yeah, Nick, uh, Nick's a good player, um, but you can definitely <laughs> tell that there was an ACL issue at key parts of his development. Have you never injured your knee, Will? Yeah, I've never had an ACL issue, but yeah, I've got patella tendonitis in my left knee. I, for sure. I think you're right. It doesn't stop. It doesn't. You wouldn't tell from the football pitch, Nick, would you? You wouldn't tell that I've got knee issues. It's your I selection of glide. retro, random football shirts that really makes you stand out, rather than it's your quality it, on the ball. I'd say. It's what it's all about. Sorry, we're just having a little lovers' <laughs> tip. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Sorry, my sorry. it's my ankles on the football pitch. They always just go and roll them and destroy them it's absolutely we'll have to get you along yeah. next time Roper once we're allowed I fear you yeah. might be the fittest person on the pitch by quite a distance the pod bringing people together definitely not I've, I've let it all go to enjoy the chocolate mousse again <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, so yeah did we get an answer to the nutrition was there an answer um, to that question I don't think we no, quite did you just talked about your, under, your undercarriage bumbling all over the place um, <laughs> yeah it, in terms of nutrition I knew that I could eat pretty much everything i actually kept a diary a quite a, quite a strict diary of all of that i consumed and i didn't again overall it was kind of just get the fuel in to some extent it's, a, it's um, an actual so science could, isn't it it's like here's my calorie yeah. depletion this is what i need to top up by so i'd imagine there's it you know there's yeah. an actual and science that, behind the calorie intake exactly a few of the things that i i did to really help on the nutrition side nutrition side was kind of protein shakes and things like that to every day a couple every day to support the recovery um which was a key element of it i think just in terms of building up the strength and recovering because it was such a constant daily strain interesting D disappointingly it kind of sounds like you didn't get the opportunity then and this is my obsession with america and american culture and why I think it's such a fascinating place is the food is so different everywhere. Not only the food, but the mm. fast food is so different everywhere. Like what is most the most loved fast food restaurants in, in one state will be completely different in a state that borders it. They're very partisan when it comes to fast food. So I'm assuming you didn't get to try in every state because my first thing would be like, okay, a bit like what you were saying about the creme brulees in France. My first thing would be to say, what's the best chicken sandwich in America is it at Arby's? Is it at Popeye's? You're a Popeye's fan, I know, Will. I'm a huge Popeye's. Popeye's is wonderful. Actually, I've made a better Popeye's f uh, sandwich at home, but unfortunately you can't try it because social distancing, so there's that. But um, <laughs> I'm assuming you didn't get to try the culinary delights of America, so your exposure to it on a cultural level would have been limited to the interactions you have with people in hot showers, not in the hot mm. showers themselves, but in that concept and from a countryside perspective, or did you get to kind of eat your way across America? Um, a bit of both. So there was a, a lot of eating whatever was there on the road at the time. So I tried quite a few different Oreo milkshakes um, <laughs> and the, the consistency of Oreos, I think, is actually pretty key from what I discovered um, that, it, that go into them, the number of them. Uh, and then in terms of different elements, or, or I'm a burger man. So I would, mm. I would always lean to different burgers and things. And also when getting to New Mexico, wanted to try a margarita straight away. Unfortunately, was sorely disappointed by the choice of location. But it was, yeah, there was a, quite a few in terms of that sort of thing. Might be skipping forward a bit here, but when you finished, what, what meal did you eat? Really good question. I don't it's like it's like your last meal in yeah. prison. What, what done, do you yeah, done, done 3,000 <laughs> miles, but doesn't really care about the last meal. Odd. <laughs> Just wanted yeah, a beer. I don't know. That's terrible. Terrible. Was it a margarita? Do you drink a, drink a margarita and have a pizza? Yeah, I had had some had some bubbles. 
had some fizz to, to end it. The hotel were very nice and provided those. So I remember that. And then, oh, ate a lot of um, Oreos across the trip just as a quick instant hit. Um, so I feel like I'm plugging Oreos. But I was going to say no sponsorship um, so had, <laughs> that we know of. No sponsorship, so to speak, from Mondelez. Yeah, for yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been told not to talk about that one. Just slowly, <laughs> softly pl- plug it. <laughs> and you broke down as well halfway through, right? Yeah, just wept. You know, uh, <laughs> I think I mean the support no, really. car, but also tell <laughs> yeah. us about your emotional state throughout. <laughs> the emotional state was was good. The car, unfortunately, did did suffer a little bit of a glitch, but it was more one of those ones where I suppose it sound a bit like my my dad here. But as cars get a bit more complicated, some chip went in it, and so we were driving on the highway just to return to where I finished the day before and and from where we stayed and it just started to slow down and so we had to quickly pull into the hard shoulder and get a truck to come and get us so it was it was a strange one but luckily we were in Indianapolis and they have a dealership there who were able to replace it in the day so good stuff easy you wouldn't think it would yeah. be the car easy that, self yeah you wouldn't think it'd be the car that let you down you think it would be the bike although i'm sure you got countless punctures and there must have been some a fair few inner tubes and uh technical yeah. issues that needed to to be fixed along the way well, it's just one of those things you know when you get one puncture i think i got about 1500 miles about halfway across on the tires and tubes that i had wow and then uh, yeah, huge then, distance on uh, one set. Yeah, it was fantastic and and so great in terms of not having to stop or have to sort them out on the side of the road. But then once you do and you don't properly check if the glass or whatever it is has been removed or stray shard of metal, or um, then you get four in one day. They're like that was buses. Incredibly frustrating. <laughs> yeah, especially when and and one of the things that I learned is I would do it the other way around the cycle so if you're ever thinking about it run or ride from west to east because the wind predominantly comes across the u.s from Uh, the west to the east so cycling into a headwind for the majority of it was brutal so how long did it i guess we are kind of jumping to the end but it feels like we are getting towards that logical conclusion but um how many days I'm trying to do the quick maths in my head on three. Was it a month to get? So it was six weeks, 45 days, um, of which I was fortunate to have about two and a half weeks off of work. And then I had to do some work part time. So getting to restaurants and things for calls was interesting um, to try and schedule those in with enough time. But it was six weeks overall. Work gave me about two and a half off fully. And then the other time was part time. And then once we finished, we had four or five. We had two days in San Francisco and then four or five days to get back to New York to start work again. Uh, that that next week back at work must have been physically and mentally exhausting. Uh, well, the big issue was 10 hours a day driving and not being able to gr- gradually come back from 80 miles a day um, meant that my quads and my legs just fully seized up so for the first week and a half uh, well one for the drive back but then two when I was trying to walk between meetings or go and get lunch I couldn't actually physically walk because my legs would just fully seize and just lock up basically it was utterly excruciating (laughs) that was the worst part but worth it (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's all rosy tinted memories now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, the, i think it does i mean it's obviously an incredible experience but it was amazingly positive right like i know i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we've had a horrific few months and if you wanted to do this cycle now i suppose you couldn't for a variety of reasons but um what was it an amazingly positive experience what was everyone you came across by and large very pleasant and welcoming 
Yeah, it's it's actually something, obviously, with everything that's been going on, we've been reflecting on in terms of just how lucky we were to, to do it last year. And also, Pippa and I got married last year. So overall, had a really fortunate and incredible year. Um, and I think looking, looking back at it, it is rose-tinted, can't really remember the pain or anything, and everybody was incredibly welcoming. We had many people who offered to buy our meals or the restaurant provide our meals, the places we were staying, slightly discounted rates and things, and of course being welcomed into people's homes and having meals cooked for us is just unbelievable in terms of how welcoming people were. But you can't but help, and not to get too... Um, introspective or heavy but in terms of you can't help but wonder if if we were different or we were black then would it be different would it have been different last year um to actually try and do that ourselves so yeah it was it was great um but it does put things into perspective this year yeah and also i think so many parts of the u.s you know people are very parochial and and don't often leave their state certainly leave the country but often leave their state as well yeah yeah exactly we we actually were talking to one lady in kansas city who said ah that sounds amazing when we were just telling them why telling her why we were there and she said oh yeah i really must leave kansas and um (laughs) it just reflecting on that you just realize that then she hasn't seen mountains or hasn't seen the sea and it just kind of blows your mind a little bit in that sense yeah mm-hmm. it's incredible fascinating trip yeah it was it was great i would highly recommend it and will if you're gonna run it just let me know and i will uh, join where i can on the bike because think, it was fantastic do you think anyone's done i'm just trying to think how many marathons that i don't know if anyone's someone must have run it bridge to bridge I think I think somebody or there have been a couple of people who are in the process of or getting close to it. I think somebody is right now. Maybe there's a challenge. It, running. Eddie Izzard yeah. somewhere is in middle America, <laughs> exhausted. Yeah, he was the one doing um, the back-to-back, what's it called, power marathon running or whatever, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's done some hefty stuff. So well, Roper, two things. And also there was... Back- Sorry, go on. I was just going to say there was that guy uh, Ross Edgley who oh, yeah. swam around Great British Swim, swam around the UK, and the chafing Which... and the chafing was uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty next level. Severe. severe, it was severe. <laughs> he uh, he's Sorry, actually Nick. been on the Goat podcast before, Ross Edgley. Um, not ours uh, on a previous uh, incarnation. Yeah, not ours, sadly. Um, but there nice. are two things, Roper, uh, that I really uh, I think would. Bring this nicely to an end, but I'm also dying to know about. Firstly, um, how did the fundraising go for the Bridge to Bridge? And secondly, uh, you the plan all along was to marry uh, the wonderful Pippa at the end of this in the UK. So we want to hear about that as well. Did she <laughs> go ahead with it? <laughs> yeah, well, there were some testing times on the cycle, there's no doubt. Uh, but overall, it what was... What was harder, Corona or the cycle for your relationship? Um, I think, yeah, probably Corona. (laughs) Um, But we'll get on to that another time. Um, So really fortunately raised just over $21,000 in total for the Diner Award, which was through a combination of partners, corporations, and then very, very generous donations from many people who I know and also don't know. So, yeah, really, really thrilled with that and kind of humbled to be able to raise that money. Awesome. For sure. And then to your second question, Nick, we did, we finished the cycle, um, strangely enough, in the run-up to, uh, we finished the cycle in May, Pippa then went back to the UK because of the visa, as I mentioned, and I worked in the US for my team until the start of July uh, or middle of July actually and then we got married on the 20th of July last year so Glorious. very close to our one year anniversary yes indeed coming up to it what we should send flowers Nick we should send flowers we should Will you can just walk them round you're only I know over, well I cycle we them round realize. because I, yes, I did please. I did get a new tyre for my um for my bike Daphne as, as she's oh, uh, as she's named um, I, I I have um got one last question what's next for someone like you who clearly 
again, I still don't know your age, but I know you started doing all of this kind He's of... He's 55. Awesome. He actually looks good for his age. <laughs> excellent, excellent 55. What's next? I mean, 14 is where it all began with your first cycle. And I know you mentioned that it's when you move somewhere that you feel like you want to cycle the length of it. I'd imagine if Singapore's next on the um, the list, it's it's not particularly far, or um, yeah, it wouldn't be as amazing. What what's next? Are you going to do north to south in America, or is there a plan? Yeah, it's it's one that's up for discussion. And what I've realised is that I have to a bit like Inception. I have to get these ideas in really early with Pippa, yeah. so mm. that then she can have her immediate reaction with it and then slowly come to terms with what a fantastic idea my original idea was so um trying to work out what that is um and definitely thought about if we were to go to singapore or something because that's still something in the future that we might look to do whether getting there by bike initially whilst our stuff is going there by a ship or something if world travel comes up again um then would look at something like that the other thing is i always i want to try potentially a running one or um i also looked into getting from toronto to montreal by canoe which is possible through the lakes so who knows wild if you wanted to join no <laughs> we'll do we'll get our five aside back post corona is a hard no <laughs> it's a hard no for now um all right great um well i think we better wrap it up there but roper thank you so much for sharing some escapism and some optimism with us thank you will another great pod um and thanks listeners we'll see you again next time i'm serious move to a new city we're moving to new york I should probably buy a place in the city first. Are you here for business or pleasure? Hopefully both. <laughs> <laughs>